In the previous episode of Rogue Soldier, $250,000 in cash. You'll get another $250 when the job's done. Tom unzipped the bag and confirmed the contents. A federal convoy is due to start removing the records on the 26th. That's three weeks away, Tom protested. More than enough time. Special Activities Division will supply the thermite grenades. They'll be left on site in a secure location. We'll provide you a cover job and access. Tom acknowledged him. Leave no trace stone. Every file has to burn. Rogue Soldier Episode 2 Written by Robert Child Jacksonville, North Carolina Three weeks later Colonel Jake Hamilton reached out, ready to hit snooze on his clock radio alarm, when he paused and began to listen to the WNTB radio news report. At this hour, Walter Reed Military Medical Center outside Washington remains on lockdown. Reports of an active shooter have shut down the entire medical facility. We also have unconfirmed reports that hostages may be being held. There was urgency in the announcer's tone. Hamilton's cell vibrated on the bedside table, jarring him, and he grabbed for it. Hamilton, have you heard what's happening in Bethesda? His commander, Hal Nelson, 45, asked on the other end of the line in his office at Marine Corps Forces Special Operations Command at Camp Lejeune. Just heard. What the hell's going on up there? It's bad. Really bad. Terrorists? Hamilton asked. No, Colonel, that would just be your average everyday bad. What do you mean? JSOC believes they've identified one of the persons responsible. He was one of ours. One of your team. What? I need you on base. Come directly to SOCHQ. Jake rubbed his eyes as the call clicked off, then threw off the covers and pondered. One of my guys shooting up Walter Reed? No. This can't be right. At 38, Jake Hamilton was one of the veteran special operations officers in the elite Marine Recon Special Ops Raider Unit. Six foot three, close-cropped dark hair with flecks of gray, chiseled, and a six-time Ironman qualifier. He could still mop the floor with men ten years his junior. He had enlisted in the Corps post-9-11 and was selected for recon when they reorganized in 2006, forming three elite battalions. Jake was 2nd Battalion and his unit based at Camp Lejeune had recently adopted the Raider name in homage to their proud World War II heritage. Marine Raiders in World War II in the South Pacific were light amphibious units that struck deep into enemy territory, causing death, havoc, and destruction in the enemy ranks. They were fearless, independent, and proud. Their moniker was Silent Warrior. As Jake's feet hit the cold tile floor, his mind searched team members' faces from his 14-man Marine Special Operations team. Their last mission had been in Herat province, Afghanistan, and the deployment had been mostly uneventful. No Marine sprung to mind as someone who'd make this kind of noise, with the possible exception of one man. Jake recalled Tom Stone, as a troubled special operations capability specialist in explosives who was anything but a silent warrior. The wiry 23-year-old, who was a late addition to the mission, was just weeks out of ITC. Although a dedicated and skillful warrior, the man regularly ran his mouth about government and Pentagon conspiracies. Mostly the guys on the team paid his talk no attention. Jake, however, finally had to pull Tom aside and let him know that if he didn't shut the hell up, he'd be on the next C-130 home followed by a disciplinary hearing. After that, Tom settled down and Jake took him under his wing. Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, Bethesda, Maryland. Six hours earlier. In the early morning darkness, 
Dressed in tan construction coveralls and a dark green hard hat, Tom carried a black storage container. The container, which had been hidden on site by advanced CIA, SAD operatives, contained several thermite charges, a loaded Glock 19, and two blocks of C4 with detonators and caps. Stone took a wide path keeping the explosives distant from two welders working on a rebar cross-section of a cement footer on Building 4's foundation. Yellow-orange welding sparks illuminated his silhouette. The VA had awarded Green Construction a $570 million five-year contract the previous June to renovate two buildings and tear down six others at Walter Reed. The active construction site was the CIA-arranged home base cover adjacent to the loading dock of Building 3, which housed the vast archive of medical records. Two white unmarked 18-foot semi-trailers, which arrived the previous night, were positioned end-to-end -end backed into the Liberty Street access road next to the loading dock. The trucks awaited the medical archive staff's arrival at 7 a.m. to begin loading the 300,000 Desert Storm medical files. Tom took his time working alone in the early morning darkness, but he knew the CIA had agents, perhaps with night vision goggles within the complex, keeping a close eye on his movements. Slipping behind one semi-trailer with the storage container, he transferred the Glock and the C4 and detonators to his backpack. Stone then accessed a steel door entry point into the loading dock's interior, which agents had left unsecured. Tom stashed the grenades in the back bed of a parked forklift nearby. He planned to alert archive staff to what was happening when they arrived for work so they could flag Walter Reed National Military Medical Center police to the situation. The thermite the CIA procured for him to torch the records would undoubtedly do the job if he'd planned to carry it out. The incendiary was a highly specialized grenade manufactured by ALS Technologies Inc. in Bull Shoals, Arkansas, which produced the weapon for the U.S. military, special forces, and CIA. It was a highly volatile mixture of metal powder and a metal oxide, which burns through half-inch steel plates and can reach temperatures up to 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit. There would be no trace left of the Desert Storm medical records and much of the archive's interior. Sunlight started seeping into the darkened interior of the loading dock area where Tom had been waiting for archive personnel to arrive and he checked his watch. It was almost 5.30 a.m. He pulled out his cell and dialed a number. In a darkened bedroom in northern Florida, a cell phone rang on a nightstand. A blonde woman in her early 30s awoke, switched on a lamp and answered the call. Hello? Carol? Tom? Looking over to a clock radio, it's 5.30 in the morning. I know, sorry, listen. Interrupting, it's okay, I've got to get the boys up soon anyway. Carol, listen to me. The boys can't go to school today. You need to grab the kids and get out of that house. What? What are you talking about? Listen, you can't be there. I can't tell you why. You just can't be there. Carol paused, clearly frightened by the intensity in Tom's voice. Okay, I'll get him up. We'll go over to Mom's. No, no, Carol, no family. Check into a hotel downtown. A hotel? Just trust me, please. You gotta do this. Check into a hotel and I'll call you later, please. All right, Tom. As Tom clicked off the call... Three hard knocks vibrated the exterior locked door. Instinctively, Stone grabbed for the pistol in his backpack. Three knocks came once again, louder, and this time a voice called his name. Stone! Tom bolted in the opposite direction toward the main floor of Building 3. He glanced back, and the man had breached the door pursuing him with a weapon drawn. The man called his name again. Stone! Tom's mind spun trying to piece together a plan on the fly as he buzzed through double doors into a vast maze of archived medical files. He found a corner and ducked into a stairwell. 
He stuffed the pistol back in the backpack, but he wasn't exactly inconspicuous in construction coveralls as he headed up to the second floor. Emerging near a nurse's station on floor two, hospital personnel shouted after him as he stumbled through the corridor with the man who'd broken through the door in rapid pursuit. As the pursuer passed the central nurse station, he shouted, Federal officer alert security, waving his badge. Nurses reacted, triggering an alarm and jumping on the PA system. Security code 999. Code 999 on floor 2, building 3. Tom rounded a corner into another hallway. Stopping short, he crouched at the corner, awaiting the man in pursuit. As the man rounded the corner, Tom tackled him at the knees, causing the man to discharge a round into the ceiling. Tom, better trained as a special operator in the Marines, subdued the man, grabbing his head and slamming it several times into the linoleum. With the man out cold, Tom scrambled over him to the nearest open door across the hall. He rushed in and slammed the door behind him. It was a six-bed, fully-occupied, windowless room. Surprised patients reacted and began getting out of their beds. Tom had to get hold of the situation fast. He remembered the C4 in his backpack. Grabbing the bag and lifting it into the air, he shouted, I've got explosives! Instantly freezing the patients in their tracks. It was just past 8 a.m., and the news crews began to arrive. <laughs>